Today's episode of Carson Sack Podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. Of course, Stella Artois tastes better than other beers. We've had over 600 years to get the recipe right. Since 1366, Stella Artois has been painstakingly brewed in a time-honored tradition using the choicest ingredients, which is why our customers have kept coming back for more, even after 600 years. Stella Artois. Perfection has its price. This episode of SAC is also brought to you by V8. Sure, other diet drinks are low in calories. The problem is... They're low in nutrition, too. That's why we made V8 Diet Splash not only delicious and fruity, but with a full day's supply of vitamins A and C and lots of vitamin E, all with just 10 calories per serving. Welcome to Nutrition Nirvana. Hit that ish. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, if you're listening, welcome to the 19th episode of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. This sack is going to be huge today. We have a lot of college football talk. We have a lot of NFL talk. But as I promised you all last week, we have what I hope is going to be one of your all's favorite segments because it's already one of my favorite segments. That's right. We have Girls on Balls coming at you here real soon. This week, the girls that'll happen to be on the balls, this is one of my dear friends from high school, Addie Miners, who works through the UK football team and also this summer had an internship with the Louisville Bats. You might have seen her interviewing people in the stands at both the Bats and UK football games. She's played high school basketball. Her dad played UK football. She's grown up around sports her entire life. And if we're being honest, gentlemen, ladies, whoever's listening, she's pretty hot, too. Also, if we're being honest, I had a crush on her sophomore year of high school, so I have great taste in women, so that's also another key thing you can take away from this. So I'm hyping this segment up a lot, so let's just get right into it. This is Girls on Balls, courtesy of Carson Sack Podcast. So, like I said, we are here with Addie Miners, and just to get things going, Addie, what type of sports do you like, and what's your background in sports knowledge? I touched a little bit on it, basketball and football, but what about that? Well, Carson, it's great to be here. Um, I'm a big sports fan in general. I would have to say my favorite, uh, though, definitely football. Um, Like you said earlier, uh, my dad's coached football my whole life. I've grown up around it. I love it. I think football players are hot, so it works well for me. Um, But played basketball in high school, so got a lot of background knowledge all around. So I'm just a sports fan in general. So, like I said, you're involved with the UK football team, and you had an internship with the Bats, and you interview fans and do contests and stuff like that. Just talk about a little bit how you got involved with that. It's a pretty cool job, so just interested in how you got that. 
Absolutely. So I started with the whole sports broadcasting idea. Uh, my uncle does TV and radio back in Louisville. So um, that was really how I kind of got into it. And I love sports. So it really just kind of developed itself. Uh, with UK football, actually, I was working for a local golf show in Kentucky um, last year called Inside Kentucky Golf. Um, I was working the Governor's Cup uh, golf uh, tournament that they do every year, met one of the video production guys for UK, a couple weeks later he called me, hey we're looking for a student um, to start doing this at the games, Asked, offered it to me and I was said absolutely and here I am, so that was how that got started. Alright, that's pretty interesting, now what about this whole bat situation? So the Louisville Bats, actually, um, I have a friend who is interested in sports broadcasting, also who's older than me. Uh, she told me about the opportunity, said that it was great for um, microphone work and being in front of the crowd. So I applied, and um, I went and met the um, boss of it. His name's Greg, great guy. Um, we talked, and he hired me immediately, and it was a great opportunity. I feel like I've gotten a lot better talking in front of the camera, uh, talking with you know live people. Um, and on the microphone, too. Uh, it's been a great experience all over. So, like, both of those sound like pretty high-pressure situations. Just how nerve-wracking is stuff like that? So, um, definitely the UK football is a little more nerve-wracking. I'm talking on a delayed mic. So, everything I say, I hear two seconds later, and it can really trip you up, but I really just try and read through it. Um, at the bats, though, it's more of sometimes things are really quick pace. You know, innings go quicker than others. Um, there was actually one time that I had a guy up on the dugout and we were about to play a game and I completely forgot to ask him what his name was and I, you're supposed to obviously intro in front of everybody and so I was like, oh, I'm here with, and I just kind of looked at him and I was like, my friend and we're going to play this game now and it was really awkward but um, he was still great and I, you know, he was fine with it so it ended up being okay but it could have been a real issue. I imagine it's pretty tough not to fall off the dugouts when you're doing that as well. Absolutely. I, I've had it, you know, I've had guys like, you know, give you, you know, hey, what you, let's, let's get your number and I'm like, hey, alright, calm down, keep playing. <laughs> So, like I mentioned, Addie, a great-looking woman, pretty hot. Um, wondering, have any players hit on you? Have you reached out to any of the players, maybe hit on them, maybe say, hey, nice butt, 67, anything <laughs> like that? Um, actually, yeah. Um, another girl I worked with, her name's Amanda. Um, we had, like, a huge thing for um, this one guy, Jesse Winker. He actually now, um, he gets pulled up to the Reds every now and then. Towards the end of the season, he played for the Reds. A lot, which kind of stunk because he wasn't at the bats anymore um, for us to mess with. But he was pretty hot, and I followed him on Instagram, and he followed me back and liked a bunch of my pictures. So that was my closest interaction. Uh, Did you ever so slide far. in those DMs? I thought about it. I thought about it, but um, it, I never did. I never. I never did. I should have. <laughs> so moving on now, UK has a huge football game this weekend at South Carolina. So just give me your outlook on that. How you think the Cats are going to do in Columbia? So I think, I mean, kind of a, a bit of a poor showing uh, last week against EKU. First week down at Southern Miss, um, people don't know. I mean, I think Southern Miss is a pretty decent team for um, their what people put them out to be. Uh, I think the defense played a lot better or played well against them. Um, versus EKU, though, I mean, all around, the offense wasn't very good. The defense wasn't very good. I mean, Drew Barker was not. They threw him in there for a couple plays. I didn't like him. Um, Steven Johnson was better. So 
I think this upcoming weekend is all on us. You know, South Carolina has been building for a few years now. Um, they've really got some momentum behind them. I think they're going to give us quite a game, but it all kind of depends on whether we decide to show up or not. I mean, if the defense decides to come out and play hard and if Steven Johnson can, can complete some passes, we can get some runs from Benny Snell. I mean, I think that uh, they can really – put it on a show, but like I said, I mean, I think it's really going to be an us thing, more of a South Carolina thing. Yeah, I don't like Drew Parker either. He's a pretty big douche. <laughs> so now moving on, we got a little bit of a fun segment for you. Me and Addie are going to rank our top five hottest, most handsome men in sports. Before we get into this, though, just saying I'm comfortable with my sexuality. I'm okay <laughs> to say someone's handsome or something like that. So let's not get it twisted. I love girls. They love them. But I'm okay with myself to say, hey, that's a handsome guy. So, Addie, we're going to start with you. Who is your number five most handsome men in sports? So, I guess, I think I'm going to go with um, Cam Newton. You know, he's got that nice, defined jawline. Um, I liked him when he was at Auburn. They won that uh, that national title back a couple years ago. Um, I thought he was hot then. So, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Cam Newton fan. All right. So, my number five most handsome man, I'm going to go with Dwayne Wade. He's pretty handsome, but what pushes him over the edge for me is how he just shows off his wife, Gabrielle Union. If you follow him on Instagram or any social media, he's always putting her up on Woman Crush Wednesday. His captions with her are just adorable. He just loves showing her off, and he's a quality guy, pretty handsome, but when he's willing to show off the arm candy, you just got to appreciate that too. So moving on now, Addie, what's your number four for this list? Uh, my number four, uh, looking like J.J. Watt, honestly. You know, he's down there with the Texans, defensive end, you know, big guy. Um, that's kind of my type, is like the big football player type of guy. Uh, I can't help it. It's just the way I am. But uh, definitely a J.J. Watt there. So now I'm going to talk about my number four. A bit of a dark horse here. A bit of a guy that just looks like he doesn't give a fuck most of the time. Jay Cutler. Like I said, he always kind of has that douchey look on his face. Kind of, hey, I don't really care. Kind of that mis mysterious look. Probably one of those guys that a girl he gets in a relationship with and she's going to try and change him. But he's the bad boy kind of too and he's just not going to change for anybody. So my number four, Jay Cutler. So moving on, now we get to our top three. This is where things get a little bit more serious. Addie, go ahead. All right. Um, my number three is definitely going to be Eric Decker for the Tennessee Titans. I mean, another, you know, the jawline. I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. He's got the brown flow of hair, and it is beautiful. His wife, Jesse James, like, she's a country singer. Like, oh, my gosh, beautiful. They live in, like, Nashville now. Who doesn't want to live in Nashville and have a, um, like, shout-out to Carrie Underwood living there, too, with her husband playing for the Predators. I mean, just dream guy right there. Really good stuff. And so, for my number three, we're going to little TBT, a little blast from the past. I'm going to throw it to David Beckham. He's, the six-pack he has is unbelievable. He's got sleeves of tattoos, which just highlight his entire arms. And then, he's goal-driven as well. He tried to bring an MLS team to Florida. He's done that. It shows his attitude is just so there. He per he perseveres through hard times so you love that he has a good head on his shoulders and he's got some good abs on his body 
So number three, David Beckham. So now we move on to number two. This is the guy that is the shit. Addie, who is your number two spot? My number two is going to go to Kevin Love. He's got the height that I love. Love. Um, you know, playing for, you know, watching him in all the championship games, um, all that good stuff, playing alongside with the Le LeBron, you know, he can hit that three. Um, just a really good looking guy. I dig the scruff, you know, he's just, he's hot, man. He's real hot. So, I mean, he hits threes on the courts, but I don't expect him hitting anything less than nines in real life. Oh, completely agree. That is a good one. <laughs> My next guy, number two, who I think is the shit, I'm going to go with Bryce Harper from the Washington Nationals. First thing you got to talk about, the beard, the hair, just shows, doesn't really give a shit either, just likes to have a good time, lives in Washington, D.C. too, the nightlife there, very underrated, and the vibe I get from him, if you were to go on a date with him, he's not a traditional dinner and a movie guy. Maybe a dinner, but I feel like you're going to hit the clubs after with him. He's probably a great dancer, maybe a carriage ride home just because he cares about you so my number two is the sensual great hair having lush beard having bryce harper well damn i mean where can i sign up for a date with him a carriage ride home i'm i mean i'm a princess so like that sounds like a great time to me okay so before we get to our number ones here on the hottest most handsome men in sports Addie, just wondered do you have any honorable mentions for the fans here i do i do um so a lot of women agree with me i know sandra bullock in the blind side does uh, nick saban i mean he is he's good looking for his age i mean he's up there and he's he's a hot dilf for sure for sure you know, Addy, you have that honorable mention. I also have my own. I'm going to go into the sports entertainment world, though. I'm going to go with John Cena. Oh. You you had a bit of an older guy. John Cena, he's 40 years old. He's not a spring chicken, but what I love about him with his age and whatnot is he still connects with the kids. He's ripped. Great personality. You got to see that in a little bit of the movies he did with Trainwreck, with Amy Schumer. He's a great guy, great with kids, great body, like I said, and he's been doing what he's been doing for over 15 years. He's been the top guy in WWE, so you know he's driven as well. So John Cena, my honorable mention. Oh, that's a great one, honestly. I mean, I ladies, you've seen Total Bellas. I mean, he's on there with his wife. Uh, you get to see his soft side as well. Uh, he's That's a good pick. That's a good one, definitely. Nikki Bella, his wife, very hot. And his catchphrase you, is, you can't see him, but ladies, if you're lucky, you should see him. So we're going to switch up the order here a little bit. I'm going to go first here with the number one because Addy's probably spent a little bit more time checking out like any sports player than I have. And she's a girl, so her opinion holds a little bit more weight. So my number one most handsome men in sports, I'm going to go with Julian Edelman. Up there in Foxborough, a lot of people say Tom Brady is good looking. Danny Amendola gets a few shout outs here and there. But the true man of the hour there is Julian Edelman. His hair is great. His beard is great. It's never too scruffy. It doesn't get too long, but it's just the right amount of scruff. The hair, long on top, short on the side. I will say he is a little short, but he catches everything that is thrown to him. He catches girls' hearts, I'm sure, just as well as he catches the footballs on the field. So my most handsome man in sports is Julian Edelman, hands down. So, yeah, you know, Julian Edelman, great pick. I mean, Tom Brady's hot, too. But the main man up there in New England, 
Rob Gronkowski. I mean, the Gronk. He is beautiful. I mean, shout out to the Patriots, though. They have a squad of good-looking guys up there. I'm a huge fan of them. But, um, you know, Rob Gronkowski, he is just so hot. I mean, I follow him on Instagram. He's so goofy. He's got, a, like, a goofy side. I could see him being a total, you know, just a good guy to hang out with, always keeping you laughing. Um... You know, he's great at football. The Gronk spike, I mean, that is just pure masculinity right there. And it is hot. He gets me going, man. Rob Gronkowski. If you're listening, I'll chuck you my number, honestly. I'll tell you, the, the spike really gets me going, too. And just shout out to the Patriots for having, I guess, the most handsome team oh, yeah. in all of sports. Oh, yeah. Addy, I just want to thank you for joining us here on Carson Sack Podcast. Here for the inaugural segment of Girls on Balls. Thank you so much, and listeners, you can see her every Saturday that the Cats are at home at Kroger Field on the sidelines. Addie, thank you. Thank you, Carson, for having me. Um, It was great. You're a great guy. I love your show. Um, Check me out on the sidelines, guys. I'll be there. So in that interview, we had talks of balls. We had talks of cocks, and she was on Carson Sachs. So I guess you could say this podcast is just... The total package. And ladies and gentlemen, I shit you not, that interview was brought to you by Vagisil. For over 39 years, Vagisil have been on a mission to create products that improve the intimate health of women. Around the world, Vagisil has seen firsthand that when women take control of their intimate health, they are more focused, productive, comfortable, and confident. Vagisil, it enables women to be at their best. So now that that is over, let's get back to our regular scheduled programming. So, like I said, the two biggest things we got to talk about in this episode of The Sack is we got to talk, we got to recap this week in college football. It was a hectic weekend. We're going to take a little time to preview this next weekend, and then we get to talk about the big boys, the NFL. It was the first weekend for that, but first, like I said, let's review the past weekend in college football. So, the first game we can look at, this one hurt me to watch, I'm not going to lie to y'all. The number 5th ranked Oklahoma Sooners went to the number 2 ranked Ohio State Buckeyes, and Oklahoma dominated the game, coming out on top 31-16. Really, Ohio State, just the offense just could never get going. The defense really didn't do them any favors. Again, in back-to-back weeks, their secondary looks suspect. The the D-line, though, I can't fault them. They are so good, but now questions are going to arise. Urban Meyer hasn't had production from the quarterback spot the past two years as much as he has before. People want to put that all on JT Barrett's shoulders. You can't. You really can't. The receivers need to step up. Everything like that needs to go on as well. People are calling for a quarterback change as well. Get JT out of there. I'm a huge JT Barrett supporter. You can't just ditch your date that brought you to the dance. JT Barrett has the most touchdowns in Ohio State history. It has shown he can play. He got them to he didn't get them to the national championship in 2014, but he filled in in a great way when Braxton Miller went down. He's produced consistently. The only thing <coughs> excuse me, that bothers me is the play calling by Kevin Wilson. When you have two great running backs like Mike Weber, like J.K. Dobbins, 
I don't need to see JT Barrett draws and trap plays and everything like that more than like five to six times a game. I want to see the bruisers up front getting a push on the defensive line and Mike Weber and Dobbins just running uphill through the freaking tackles. Yes, it's okay to get them outside a little bit, but Ohio State's O-line is good and they have two great power backs. Mike Weber a little better. J.K. Dobbins a little shifty when he gets up to the line and in the hole, a very patient back. They have so much strength in between the tackles that that is just where they should focus. I'm not saying take J.T. completely out of the running game. He has a good dynamic with that, but they did run a lot of options this week, and I hated that. Hated it because it forced JT to get on the edge where he's not as fast as most quarterbacks are. He's a little faster than most quarterbacks, I will say that, but compared to scrambling running quarterbacks, he's probably at the lower end of speed. And like I said, no problem with him running the ball a little bit, but you can't have him run as much as he did. And then some people say, oh, Carson, he's not that good of a passer. He only affects the game in the run game. If he gets time and his receivers have time to work, which the O-line is good enough to do, and he's mobile enough to move in the pocket, JT can be a better-than-average passer, and I mean that with so much seriousness. The other big thing in this game was Baker Mayfield. He had a little antics after the game. I'll get to that, but his game performance was great. It shot him to the number one Heisman watch, even though it's only the second week of the season. And there was a player that pretty much doubled his stats over the past weekend, but I'll get to that a little later. But right now, Baker Mayfield sitting atop of the Heisman favorites. And just to talk about what happened after the game, if you haven't seen it, he took a big Oklahoma flag, waved it around a bit, then went to the 50-yard line right in the middle of the block O and stuck it right in the middle. The only thing I have to say about that, I have two things really. One, if you're Baker Mayfield, act like you've been there before. I understand it's Ohio State's job to stop him, and they didn't, but act like you've been there before. And second, when Ohio State tapped that ass last year in Norman, did we do anything like that? Did Ohio State take their flag and hammer it on the OU logo? They didn't. They shook hands, they got back on the bus, back on the freaking airplane, and they flew home back to Columbus with their helds held eye. And what did you do, Baker? Your tail was tucked between your legs. And you went home. That's all I have to say about that. I take nothing away from Baker Mayfield, though. He came out and apologized. I still pick him as my Heisman favorite this year. I love him as a player, but just a little classless thing he did. Just act like you've been there before. The next game you look at, you got the 13th-ranked Auburn Tigers going to the 3rd-ranked Clemson Tigers. So, battle of the Tigers. Rawr! But, really, in all seriousness... This game, neither team's offense ever got a chance to really get in rhythm. I mean, the final score is 14-16, a combined 20 points. What that means is both defenses stepped up. Clemson's quarterback had some questionable plays. He did run it in for the game-winning touchdown, but both of these offenses, in order to compete in each of the conferences, are going to be have to be a lot better. I will give the edge, if that was going to be the case, to Clemson to do better in their conference than Auburn and theirs. Clemson, though, we're going to look at it in the preview section of this coming week. They have a huge game coming up against Louisville, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Speaking of Louisville, they handle the Tar Heels from North Carolina 47-35 and 
like I said about every week, Lamar Jackson's going to Lamar Jackson. This is who I was talking about with Baker Mayfield, someone doubling his stats pretty much. Lamar Jackson had almost 400 passing yards. He ended the game with 393, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. But this other stat, pretty insane, 19 carries, 132 yards, and then three touchdowns there. The man had six total touchdowns and over 500 total yards. He's just a human highlight reel. He's going to keep Louisville in so many games. Louisville has a chance in every game because of him. And like I said, we'll get to the game against Clemson in the preview. But I just had to throw out the stats because Baker Mayfield got a lot of press this week. Like I said, he's at the top of everybody's Heisman board. But Lamar Jackson, still a top of mind. I do think Baker's going to edge him out in the end. You all know that. But right now, Lamar Jackson is the best player in college football hands down. The next game we talk about took place in South Bend. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish welcomed the 15th ranked Georgia Bulldogs and the Bulldogs walk away with a very hard fought victory 20 to 19. Like I said, Eason out for the year for the Bulldogs and so Fromm, the true freshman quarterback comes in. I'll be honest, he played less on average, but Georgia's defense kept them in this game and like I think they're going to do for almost every game this year they're going to help them win games and keep them competitive in every game the quarterback though for Georgia he only had 141 yards one touchdown one interception not a great day Sony Michelle though a great running back in his own for the Bulldogs 13 carries 73 yards and a touchdown if Georgia like I said keep possession of the ball for a while, keep their defense off the field, but stay fresh, and then when their defense gets on the field, they can just be so rested and so just ready to attack. Georgia has a good chance in a lot of their games. The other thing, you got to look at the other side now for Notre Dame. For, I guess, at least a year now, Brian Kelly has been on the hot seat. This game doesn't get it any hotter but if he continues to just underperform as a coach the fighting irish are going to have a new coach sooner or later and i think it's going to be a lot sooner than people expect this will be the last game i review and the stanford cardinals they're 14th in the country some people picked on to be a sleeper team and whatnot they went to usc six in the country and the trojans just chopped down that tree they switched up the score for you stanford 24 usc 42 darnell he's looking great too he had a good game he had 316 yards and four touchdowns he did have two interceptions so they need to get that down a little bit but their defense is what I was very impressed with they don't get a lot of hype but they showed up in this game USC out in the Pac-12 if they win that they maybe could lose a game but if they win the Pac-12 they have a great shot at the playoff and here with Stanford USC is going to be good all year. This loss by no means knocks them out of the Pac-12 championship game or anything like that, but it's going to be an uphill battle for the Cardinals from Sanford. But in the end, I think the big takeaway from this, um, if Sam Darnold continues to put up the big numbers and reduces his mistakes a little bit and USC's defense plays as well as it did, the Trojans could be back in a big way. So, like I said, we look back, now we get to look ahead, and the first game I'm going to talk about, you have the Oklahoma State Cowboys going to the Pitt Panthers. Everybody thinks maybe Pitt is going to just maybe pull off the upset here. Um, 
I just don't see it. I think Mason Rudolph and Oklahoma State just have too much firepower. Pitt's defense isn't bad, but I don't think they're going to be able to stop them, and I don't think their offense is good enough to keep up with the Cowboys either. I'm going to take um, Oklahoma State in this, and I'm going to take them probably pretty big. I don't know what the spread is now, but I bet you they cover. It might be close the first half. Don't worry, though. Oklahoma State is going to cover and come out on top. And I know I'm talking about spreads here. This isn't a gambling segment or anything like that. It's just something to compare how close the game will be or how out of hand the game will be. So the next game we look at is a big SEC matchup. The 23rd ranked Vols from Tennessee. They're going to the Swamp to face the 24th ranked Gators. I'm going to be 100% honest with you listeners. This game always sucks. In the past couple years, it's gotten so much hype. It's always low scoring. I'll be honest with you all. I know it's a big rivalry, but my give-a-shit meter is just broken when it comes to this game this year. Malik Zaire for the Gators hasn't been impressive. He only threw for 106 yards. Their leading rusher only has 13 yards, and their leading receiver only has 71 yards. I get that was one game, but still... I really could give no shits about this game. I'll take Florida just because it's at the Swamp and maybe Zaire can get his head out of his ass and be a dynamic player that they thought he was going to be at Notre Dame but now transfers down here. And I think, like I said, the only reason I pick Florida is because it's in the Swamp. And because I say this now, watch this be the game of the year with five overtimes, three Hail Marys, and some shit like that, but... I just don't think it's going to be that that good of a game at all. If we look at the track record, it's not. The next game I want to speak on, it's not a very big game by any means, but TCU, they're 20th in the country, 2-0, just sliding under the radar. They're pretty good. Kenny Trill Hill has good, good stats so far. Like I said, they're just sliding under people's radars a little bit. All I'm saying is keep your eyes on the Horned Frogs just a little bit because I think they're about ready to enter the conversation in the top 15. If they keep up the progression, the top 10 here pretty soon, just keep your eyes on them. That's all I'm saying. The next game, again, it's not a very big game, but the number 10th ranked Wisconsin Badgers. They're 2-0. They're going to BYU, who's 1-2. I'm going to be honest with you. This is my upset of the week. BYU, they always play tough. Wisconsin hasn't looked as good as people think they should have. I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about BYU besides they play pretty tough on both sides of the ball and then Magnum for them, their quarterback. He puts up good stats, but he's only he's barely 50% completion for the year. He's got more interceptions than touchdowns. So it's not looking real good for them. But if that that's just looking at the stats, not looking at the hearts. And I mean, clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. BYU in my upset of the week. The next game, again, another big SEC matchup between two 2-0 teams. LSU, they're going to Mississippi State, a battle of two little bit under-the-radar Heisman candidates. You got Geis for the running back for LSU, and then you have Fitzgerald, the quarterback for Mississippi State. 
Uh, Fitzgerald so far has 363 yards, five touchdowns, and an interception on the year. Geis has 42 carries for 224 yards and four touchdowns. I like LSU in this one. I'll be honest, I expect it to be kind of a high-scoring game. I understand it hasn't been in the like in the past where LSU has a good shootout quarterback, but I think Geis is enough of a threat that where he could get three or four touchdowns against a weaker defense, which Mississippi State has. And like I said, Fitzgerald, a quarterback for Mississippi State, he's a very dynamic player. He's only a sophomore. In the end, though, in the end, though I like LSU to pull out a high-scoring game from Mississippi State. There's really only two big games left, and one of those you could say, really the only reason it's a big game is because of the names in it. Two powerhouses throughout college football history. You have Tom Herman and the Longhorns from Texas. They're one and one. They're going to the fourth-ranked USC Trojans. This is on Fox. USC is a 15-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't really see any reason why USC wouldn't win this game. Texas just isn't there yet. Tom Herman is a great coach. I really believe that. He's a great offensive mind. He's kind of a quarterback whisperer as well. I mean, he was the offensive coordinator for JT Barrett and Cardell Jones. And apparently JT Barrett sucks now. I hate to bring that back into this, but just a little example. It's he doesn't have he hasn't had enough time to get his type of players and the dynamic type of players that he needs to make an impact for the Longhorns to be good. I expect a big day from Sam Darnell for USC. I'm going to take USC in this one, and I expect Darnell, like I said, to put up big numbers and really help his Heisman campaign keep going in the third week of the season, even though it is still pretty early on. The next game, it's the biggest of the weekend. It's where college game day is. They're back in the city for two seasons in a row. That's pretty big time for where this team was a couple years ago. You got the 14th-ranked Louisville Cardinals going up against the third-ranked Clemson Tigers. Both teams sitting at 2-0. And a little antidote before we get into the breakdown. Last year, when UofL tapped that ass against Florida State, they were ranked third in the country as well, just like Clemson is going into this game. On both of these teams, the passing leader and the rushing leader is the quarterback. Lamar Jackson is more of a dynamic player than Bryant is for Clemson. He can just make so many more plays with his arm and with his legs, but Bryant is no slouch, and what I really like is Clemson's defense is pretty good, and L's. It's down from what it has been in the past couple years. They're not terrible, but their defense two and last year, two years ago and last year were scary good. They were getting a lot of turnovers. Their defensive front was stout. Their linebackers were quick and aggressive. I'm not saying that they aren't this year, but they just haven't shown it yet in a game. But that's not saying that they can. And I really think a big stage like this, uh, it's a blackout. Blackout or backout, U of L students. Am I right? Am I right? But in all seriousness, if their defense shows up and Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jacksons, which I'm sure he will, the Cardinals have a really good chance to win. I don't think it's going to be like the Florida State game last year. I think Clemson's defense is too good to let that happen. These guys played in a great game last year when the Cardinals went to Clemson. I expect another game like that, but this time the home field advantage, Lamar Jackson having a year of experience under his belt, grasping the offense a little bit more, and just truly coming into his own as a dynamic, huge playmaker and 
Like I said, the best player in college football. I'm going to take the Cardinals over the Tigers. And now, what we've been waiting for so many months. The NFL season is finally back, and I am just so happy about that. So, we are going to quickly talk about the games that happened last week, and hopefully you're picking up what I'm putting down. Let's go! I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, that air horn can only mean one thing. It means rapid recap is back, and I'll tell you, I just went from 6 to midnight. First game, boom! On Thursday Night Football to get the year started off right, the Chiefs said get off our reservation, Patriots, in a big upset to start the year. Chiefs, 42, Patriots, 27. Next game, boom! Last year, the Falcons ended the season with a disappointing loft in the Super Bowl, so they spent all offseason drinking. But I'll tell you what, they didn't have a Super Bowl hangover, and they for sure didn't have a hangover on Sunday. They win a close game against the Bears, 23-17. Next game, boom! The Ravens travel to Cincinnati, where the Ravens had the Bengals looking like what they are, just a bunch of pussies. They can't score any points, and the Ravens win this one in a shutout, 20-0. Next game, boom! The Raiders go up against the Titans and Marshawn Lynch flipped the double birds because he just doesn't give a truck is what he did against all the Titans defenders, leading the Raiders to a 26-16 victory. Next came, boom, Carson Wentz and the Eagles with his red hair scorched the Redskins defense and lit them up and burned them down all game. 30-17 Eagles big NFC East win over the Redskins. Next game, boom, the Colts versus the Rams, which I'm sure are associated in some way, and the Colts were just shit out of luck on the field, and without their starting quarterback, Andrew Luck, the Rams dismantle the Colts 46-9. Next game, boom, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers asked the Seahawks if they'd like a little Green Bay cheese with that wine, because that's all the Seahawks are going to do. Whine and cry after the Packers won this game, 17-9. Next game, boom, the Panthers traveled to the 49ers, where pretty much it looked like all the 49ers would have been better off just taking a knee than taking the field. The Panthers win, 23-3. Next game, boom. Zeke and the Cowboys say, hey, don't worry, Jack, we've got this one, and cut down the beanstalk, sending the Giants crashing on their asses. The Cowboys win in a dominating fashion, 19-3 on Sunday Night Football. Last game, boom, the Saints go to the Vikings, where the Vikings win 29-19 off of two touchdown passers from Sam Bradford to Stephon Diggs, and I'll tell you what, I'm digging that playmaking ability between both of them. After the game, Adrian Peterson says, hey, Sean Payton, don't make me get my switch out on you, give me the damn ball a little bit more next week. Again, Vikings win this one 29-19. Are you all, the listeners okay, I've... I'm hyperventilating a little bit. Let me get back to you in a second. Wow. 
the first rapid fire recap of the year just really gets the the blood going, the juices flowing. You gotta bring the juice. You gotta you gotta love it. Now I'm gonna look to next week's game and give you a little breakdown of those. First game on the slate I want to look at is the Vikings going to the Steelers. Both teams want to know the Vikings defense really showed up in their game against Drew Brees and the Saints on Monday night. The Steelers' offense had a little trouble getting going. Le'Veon Bell had some trouble getting back in a rhythm with the offense. Wasn't that great as he could be. In this game, though, I think the Steelers' offense is just going to be too much. The killer bees. I think Le'Veon Bell is going to get back in good form. Ben is going to spread the ball around a lot. Though, look to Antonio Brown, his favorite receiver, to have a big game. And I expect one big hookup with Martavius Bryant down the field. Stephon Diggs and the Vikings and Sam Bradford, they're not going to go away lightly. Another thing you got to think about is how well Dalvin Cook played in his NFL debut. He's going to have some things to say about the game if he can help contribute to a Vikings win. But in the end, I just don't see it. I think the Steelers come out on top in this one and move to 2-0 on the year. Next, another big game. You got the Eagles going to the Chiefs. Like I said in the recap, the Chiefs pulling off a great upset of the Patriots in Foxborough last week. The Eagles winning a big game against the Redskins. In this game, though, I like the Eagles. I know it's going to be hard for their defense to stop Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt, who again, freshman getting his first start last week, and he didn't fumble at all in college and on his first run of the NFL he fumbles I think it was like the first time in either like 2,000 carries or something like that just an incredible number actually but like I said I like the Eagles in this one um, Carson Wentz really showed me a lot last week there was a play where he scrambled a little bit which I mean it was very impressive he eluded a couple sacks but I saw after the game somebody compared that to Michael Vick and how difficult they are to tackle and bring down at the quarterback position and I'm gonna th- like mm, that comparison is like a two early two thousands rapper, just ludicrous. Michael Vick was one of the best of all time. Carson Wentz nowhere near his athleticism and elusiveness, but I think Carson Wentz and Nelson Aguilar hook up like they did a couple times last week for some big plays, and the Eagles defense makes just enough plays for the Eagles to pull out a very hard fought win against the Chiefs. The next game we look at, the Cowboys go to the Broncos, and if Zeke wasn't playing in this game, I would have said the Broncos. Their defense really good. Trevor Simeon, he's gotten better from last year to this year. He's showing more confidence. He's slinging the rock a little bit. And up until this point, Zeke, his availability for the first six games was all a question mark. He gets their straining order. He plays well in week one. He has over 100 yards. Still looking for his first touchdown, though. I think he gets it this week, and I think the Cowboys, just because of the game managing style of Dak Prescott and Des Bryant hasn't made enough plays in the past two years to really be called elite anymore I don't think that's all on him I think that's sort of on play calling and Dak Prescott not really forcing the ball downfield and over the top like Des is very good at I think Des returns to that form a couple years ago where we did talk about him being in the top two top three receivers in the league and I think it starts this week he was quieted a little bit in week one didn't have that great of a week but this week I think he comes back another side note for the Broncos though Jamal Charles looked really good on Monday night this past week I don't think though 
The Broncos are going to have enough firepower. I think Simeon is going to have some trouble. Even though the Cowboys' defense is questionable at times, they do play up two standards when they have to. Their secondary really did really well. I mean, the Giants only scored three points. Granted, they didn't have Odell, but still, they stepped up to a big challenge in a big way on Sunday night. In the end, I like the Cowboys. I like Zeke, and I like Dez to have two big games. And again, I like the Cowboys over the Broncos. And then this is the last game that I'm going to talk about. You have the Packers going to the Falcons on Sunday night football. In this one, I'm going to take the Falcons. I really like how they use both the running backs, Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. It's a little questionable at times because you don't know who's going to be in there. You think that Coleman's going to be in there for passing downs and Freeman's in there and then Coleman's in there for the first couple run plays where it's obvious he's going to run. It's just I like how they mix it up here and there. Julio Jones is going to have a great day. He's going to have another great year. And then Mohamed Sanu just flies under the radar as a great complimentary second receiver. And then uh, Tyler Gabriel, Taylor Gabriel, I forget his first name, I apologize. He's a great weapon to have that goes down the field very fast, very big playability. And then Austin Hooper, I know it was kind of just a big play where he got lucky and got behind the defense and kind of forgot about him, but if he can have enough contributions where maybe three to four catches over the middle and just gives them a threat where players have to respect and guard the middle of the field, that frees up the edges for Julio and Sanu to really make a big impact. What I think is going to harm the Packers all year and I think is going to harm the Packers in this game is just a lack of running game. And then their O-line is just too questionable for me to say, hey, I really like this team to go far in the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. You got to have good O-line play because yes, Aaron Rodgers is mobile. Yes, he's elusive, but he can't be scrambling for his life on every play. I understand maybe a couple times it has to happen, but it's just so simple. I feel like in the NFL that if you have a good quarterback, you should invest in the O-line. You need to get him people to protect him. I did, That's the Seahawks' problem as well. It's the Packers' problem as well. I just don't understand. I mean, the Cowboys set the blueprint for it. The Browns in Cleveland are trying to follow it a little bit. They made some changes to their O-line and whatnot, but I just don't understand why teams like the Packers with a great quarterback with maybe not – Great running backs, but Ty Montgomery is very dynamic. You can get him the ball outside so many ways, inside as well, out of the backfield with passes. and He's just so diverse that if they did have a good O-line, I feel like they could capitalize and use him in so many more ways. In the end, I know I got pretty deep onto that. This game, I think it's going to be pretty high scoring. Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, a shootout like we're in the Wild West. But in the end, I think the Falcons' run game is a little too much for the Packers and helps the Falcons have time of possession and control that all game. And they end up winning this big matchup the second week of the NFL on Sunday Night Football. And now to close up this podcast, this episode of it, we're going to talk blue balls. And I know this segment is meant to be funny, but... I'm going to just get serious for a little bit. Yes, blue balls, funny, haha, but the blue balls, I guess you could say, are the fans that are affected by the weather and everything like that from the hurricanes and the flooding. The Buccaneers and Dolphins got postponed. Other college games have gotten postponed and moved. The Florida State-Miami game, that got moved, and other games have been needed to move around and stuff. So... 
So like I said, in all seriousness, I just want to know that there are so many people that are willing to help those people in those parts of the countries. And I know sports, everybody might say, oh, what's the big deal? It's just entertainment. When you can submerge yourself and get away from the real world for three or four hours a week, once a week, it it just takes the worries away from the real world for a little bit. And I hope the people in those parts of the countries are just okay and they realize that sports can be a great outlet and I'm not trying to hype up sports and say, oh, they should have to watch it. I just, for myself, it's a great outlet and I know for them they can get passionate about something and just use it as an escape from the real world. And so on that note, I'm going to end this episode of Carson Sack Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you listened to all of it. I know it was a little longer than last week's and longer than most, but I really put a lot of effort into this one, and I think it could be one of, if not the best episodes I've ever done. I really put a lot of effort into the segments. I really loved how those turned out. So once again, as always, thank you for tuning in. I feel like I'm so big time by saying it, but like, subscribe, review on iTunes. That's the only way I can get onto the charts, baby, and move up them. You don't have to do that. Just be nice. Also, as we always end here on Carson Sack, we will be seeing you.